Um, so. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's a great way to be sent out. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> All right. So, um, a funny thing happened on the way to this sermon. In fact, a funny thing has been happening on the way to several sermons ever since about August and even before that. But I got to tell you, um, uh, the last two sermons that I've done, this one and the one before, have been unlike anything I've ever experienced in 20 years of ministry. 20 years, 40 years, excuse me, 20 years at this church. But what happened was, in both of these weeks, I prayed all through the week, had a sermon, wrote a sermon, put together a PowerPoint. Takes me a long time to put together a PowerPoint, hours, four or five hours. Put together the PowerPoint, did everything. Two weeks ago, Right as I was looking at it, right before I go to bed and just let my brain kind of think about it, let my heart think about it as I sleep and then think about it in the morning, I knew I didn't have the sermon. And I didn't know that until right then. But as I was doing it, I just went, oops, this isn't it. I don't know what it is, but this isn't it. And so I was, I don't know what I'm going to do, but, you know, I just slept. And when I got up, I trusted the Lord. And sure enough, he gave me something. And it was, it was along with the first one one of the most important things that we could have talked about in Christianity. Think about it. When I got back in August, he said, reset foundations. So we've been talking about very fundamental things for months now. In December, through that passage where the angels come to the shepherds and say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, God has actually, in the last two sermons, and this one, he's been saying the most foundational, fundamental things that there are are in Christianity, even deeper than Risa. The first one had to do with peace. And what, is that, had to, what was that sermon about? It's about the fact that what God does is he makes us a new creation. He make, makes us new. And it was bringing that home to everybody in a way to where we really understood he makes us a new being. And when we really understand what that means, that ought to change everything. The being that he's made that new nature doesn't sin, cannot sin, isn't separated from him. Sure, there's cotton, wood, and all that, but doesn't, you know, he's made you. And then the week after that, the one that the Lord brought home much better than what I ever had it, was his goodwill. And what's his will towards us? To be one with us. Now that's a thought that ought to, that ought to, feed every attitude and heart and reaction and thought that you have about Christ. That what God wants simply is to be with us. Literally us in his glory in heaven and very much that same kind of thing right now. So this is as deep as it gets. And then we got to the one today and you're gonna, I'm not gonna give it all up right now but I've got to tell you, once again, I literally, you got to understand, I didn't go to bed thinking it was done. I woke up knowing that I had a problem, but not knowing what it was. And I got about halfway through redoing the PowerPoint, which means it's about eight o'clock now. And all of a sudden I read this verse and I went, oh, 
I've got to change everything now. This is what you want to do here in this sermon, isn't it? Now, that's never happened to me. In 40 years I've been preaching. That's never happened to me. But I want you to think about something. What have I been saying? I said weeks ago that I think God's doing something new, that God's doing something in particular amongst us. And I don't just mean like Sam, I mean amongst the Christian body, and that is this. He's trying to find a people who will actually genuinely be led by the Holy Spirit. For real. No matter what it takes, no matter what it means. If it means you're rewriting an entire sermon an hour before you're supposed to give it, who cares? Really? Right? Is he in control or not? In staff, you guys know, Christmas Eve, just didn't have anything. It's very, very late for me. I mean, I usually have something in November I know what God wants to do. Nothing. Went to staff. Prayed about it. Did this prophetic prayer type thing. Still came away going, I don't got anything. Julie Jenkins, to her great credit, said, what's interesting about this moment is seeing how important it is for you that it genuinely be the Lord. Here you are a few days away and you've got to produce bulletins and create material and you've got to do all this kind of stuff, but you're not willing to move unless it's the Lord, unless it's God leading. Now I have to tell you, I do a lot of things not well. Lots. I think following him, I still don't think I would be an A or even a B. But I got to tell you, my whole life is oriented to that. I'm completely and utterly oriented to being led by the Holy Spirit, period. And this funny thing has been happening as I've been doing that. And that is, just picture with me that God's trying to build a foundation in your life. He's trying to build a platform upon which he can build everything else that's to come. Right? And the idea is, no matter what happens to you, you shouldn't be able to break through that platform. Now, here's the truth about floors and platforms and foundations. There are things that could happen to you right now that would be so devastating that they would shake your faith right to the, right to the ground. Do we all know that? Are we all humble enough to admit that as much as we think we've got it, there's something that could happen right now that would be so devastating that it would just shake you, right? But even at that, I want to say what God is trying to do is that he has, he's trying to build, and I'm going to call it a floor, and the reason why is because what he's been doing with me lately is he's been raising the floor of where my trust is, where my heart is, where my joy is, where my hope is. And raising the floor to a point to where I really am, you know, what could happen that would cause me to not be in this relatively elevated place of joy in him, of hope in him? What could cause that to crumble? And I don't know what it is, and I pray to God it doesn't happen, right? But the one thing I can tell you is, is that I think that this is what the Lord is trying to do. He's trying to raise us up. He's trying to create a new foundation, a new floor, a new place from which we live the whole of our lives. Because I'm convinced that when we don't live in the 
elevated place that he wants us to, we end up acting and reacting in a way that causes us to not see who he really is. I've told you what's happening with me right now is, in an un, and I've felt this kind of thing before, but in a way I've never experienced to this degree before, the Lord has been leading me and for some reason, I tending, I'm being more obedient than normal. Because I usually, my primary disobedience is, I've got something I need to do. And it's a godly thing. I am that guy going to the temple, and I got work to do, and there's something else, and I go do the work and think I'll come back to it later. And what he's asking me to do is quit doing that. And in the last two sermons, this has happened. In the middle of the sermon, it's a big chess game for me, all the pieces fitting together. In the middle of the sermon, twice now, two weeks in a row for creating a sermon, never happened before, he's told me, talk to this person, text this person, reach out to him. And I'm like, great, as soon as I'm done with the sermon, I put it down on my little note, I'll do it as soon as I'm done with the sermon. No, do it now. <sighs> okay. You know, after a while, I get to where I can't even concentrate on the sermon anymore because it's God. So I actually do it. And sure enough, the one two weeks ago was absolutely perfect timing. The second one was a word that I think is changing a person's life. Now, I like writing a sermon, but I like it a lot more when God changes somebody's life. And I'm sitting there in this place of getting to watch him do this. And me actually being obedient, and because I've been obedient, I get to see these incredible things happening, and I'm watching a life that is living like that. And I'm thinking, gee, I thought I was doing a lot of this before. <laughs> I really did. But you know how it is? When he sort of pulls back the curtain and shows you the next level, I'm just sort of sitting there going, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And there's this incredible joy. Can I say something? I think if I lack in one area in the things that God wants us to be, which is loving and joyful and peaceful and so on, I think joy is probably the one I kind of struggle with the most. I don't know why. I think it's because there's an angry streak in me that I can snap, you know, quick trigger, as they say. And I don't know where that comes from, but it shouldn't be there. And the thing that I'm finding is, as I obey, and then he does what he does, it feels like that thing that's in me that I don't want to be there is going away. Right? If I had to communicate what I think the Lord is doing, just very briefly, disciples are... Uh, he goes up in the hills. We've been doing in the angel stories and all the other stories we've been looking at. Did you, have you noticed there's a common theme God's been doing in December? Every time people see the Lord, they're afraid. Every time. And every time, don't be afraid, and then their fear gives way to joy. Just think about that. There's a sermon right there. 
God is trying to take your fear and turn it into joy. He's trying to take the things you're concerned about. He's trying to take the things that are overwhelming you and are doing you. I had a miserable, uh, ever since Dave Iris' concert on Wednesday night, it's been a glorious week. But I had a really, a really tough week of, of lots of things going on. I mean, tons of things. And not just because of sabbatical. The lot sold. Hundreds of decisions had to be, or hundred decisions had to be made. Uh, there was some dynamics going on in the church that were very, very, you know, just heart-rending, uh, several different ones. If, you're, if you think you're the person I'm talking about, there was actually several. Uh, so really big things. And I just had this, this is this killer week. And what happened was I went to my threefold on Tuesday night with Kevin and, and uh, Joel, of course, and Jeff Stevens. And we were sitting there at the threefold. And when they got to me, Kevin actually said, he said, all the times I've known you, I've never seen you like this. Because I was just dead. I, I didn't have enough energy to say a word. <laughs> I had nothing. There wasn't even fumes in the tank. You know, the car had run out of gas and drifted down into the ditch. He said, I've never seen you like this. And I said, you're absolutely right. I got nothing left. I'm just totally devoid of anything. But remember what I said? I said, but the interesting thing is I'm actually doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm actually doing pretty good. There's this thing that's going on that's really cool and it's got me in a place of joy and it doesn't really matter what else is happening. Well, that's the story, isn't it? They're terrified. Peter, would you always please for me love Peter? Because Peter says what every Christian ought to say. Isn't that what we should all be saying every day of our lives? If it's you, tell me to come. And so Jesus says, okay, it's me, come. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this is not how it works. But he's walking on water. Now, God bless Peter because God does show us things through him. He gets to look around at the winds of the waves. The Lord's a good prayer, but how would you like to live a life where you're not sinking? It's still God needs to save you because he's going to take you other places. But how would you like to not sink in the stuff that you've always been sinking in and the muck and the mire and the... How would you like to live where you're walking on top of that stuff in everything in your life? All of it. All the things that the world, Satan, is trying to bring to cover and crush you, to get you under his dominion. All of that busyness, all of that stuff you were always walking on top of. And you could look around at the winds and the waves and it didn't make any difference to you because you were walking on the water. Would you like that? I would. Because ultimately what it does is it makes the... I'm telling you if there's a message in here, and there is, that's it right there. Why did you doubt? Did I not give you plenty of reasons to trust me? Did I not give you more than enough reason 
to know that I had it. Didn't I do that? At some point in time, he's asking us, I need you to trust me. We're going to see why in just one second, but I just want you to look at that. And then when you do trust him, then you become like him and the wind stops. And the wind and the waves, they, I, I get the feeling they could even still be going on and what does it matter? Who cares? Right? This is what the Lord's doing. This is what I want us to feel today in a way that I think is, I can feel the Lord's presence. I hope you can. And I think that this is going to make a big difference in some people's lives. And may I say, he talked to us about being a new creature. He talked to us about his will, which was to be with us. And today he's going to show us how to walk. So with that, John, Justine's dad, John, Ryla, I can't say it properly because I don't speak Australian. Uh, but John, would you pray for the sermon and pray for another church too? The sermon was over. Uh, yes, it probably should be. <laughs> Father God, I just thank you for Kurt. I thank you that you're lifting him to a new level, Lord, and that we can all now listen to what you have to say through Kurt. That you will be all, we will all walk on water as we leave this place to know this morning. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And God bless his church at home. Bless them, anoint them, let the message go forth so beautifully in this special time, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John, it's wonderful to have you here. So the passage that we're in, the, the angels show up to the shepherds, this is afraid, giving way to joy again. The angel said to them, Everybody has joy right now because it's the holiday season, right? Thanksgiving gives way to Christmas, gives way to the office parties and the year-end stuff and bonuses and presents and families and all of these wonderful things, right? So what happens is we have a seasonal joy, okay? Has to do with this is...
understand that the reason why that happens is because of the gift that, Jesus, that God gave in Christ. You understand that, right? You do understand that about, about half the world proclaims some sort of Christianity, and the other half of the world, half of that, so about a quarter of the world, you can't, felt, you can't do Christmas in any way, shape, or form. Okay, so that's about three quarters of the world where there's just this thing that overtakes the whole world, whether you're, or three quarters of the world, whether you're a Christian or not, right? And this is that seasonal joy that comes from, I'm gonna do this real quick, that comes from though he was God, Jesus did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he arrived in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The gift that was given in Christ is the reason for the season. It is why we give. It is why we have an attitude of giving. It's turned into Santa and presents and lots of things, but it comes still. It's fed by a well of the greatest gift ever given. That's what Christmas is. And so there's a seasonal joy to it, but here's the question that I have for you. Is it an abiding joy? Because it isn't. I don't take the spirit of Christmas and take it out through the whole year. I don't, right? In the middle of summer, Christmas is the farthest thing from my mind. I don't take, right? But that doesn't mean I don't take the idea that Jesus Christ has done this incredible thing and that I'm not still living in the truth of it. Now watch this. I want you to catch two layers of a truth here, of a foundation that God's building. The first one is, is do you know what Jesus has done for you to save you? And that, of course, is a lot what's talking about when he's talking about obedience and died a criminal's death on a cross and so on. Do you know that God gave his son, the triune God, a third of the, the third person came, lived here with us and died for us? Do we understand that? And I think that most Christians, and most people here are Christians. If you're not, it's really lovely to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. But the bottom line is, is that most Christians live in a, what we call an assurance, right? It's an assurance that we are saved. What we don't live in is an assurance that we can live the life that Jesus led. When we look at the life that he led, we always think, I couldn't possibly do that. And I'm going to take you through three chapters in a quick way, but I'm going to take you through the three most important chapters in all the Bible. I know Romans 8, 1 and Romans 7 is the culmination of Scripture, but we're going to take you to a place in Scripture that is the most important words that were ever said. But let me just do one thing as we get there. I want to show you something. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. For the joy set before him Jesus endured the cross that he might bring us home to God. 
When he says my joy, what's he talking about? He's talking about the kind of sacrificial love that he has given to us. And in fact, now we're going to do this. I'm going to take you to the last discourse. That's what we call it as, a, as the name. But this is the, in John. This is where they're at the Last Supper. This is the last time Jesus will talk to them. He washes their feet. And then he starts to talk to them about what's going on. These are the most important words ever spoken. Ever. And, the, and what happened to me was, is as I was looking at this, and I had a whole bunch of different scriptures and different things that I was going to bring out and so on, and what happened was, as I was looking at that, I just went, what God wanted his joy, the joy that comes from a relationship with him, not just any old joy. Full and that stays. That's what he wants to bring us. So if that's what he's doing in this passage, John 15, then we're going to look at this passage and see it. And as I was looking at that passage, that's, this is where I, it went and it tripped the trigger for me this morning. And I said, oh, I really do need to go through this passage, don't I? And I will see, but I think so. Now, this is in John 13, where verse 34, he's washed their feet. Now, here's what he, he's starting into the serious discourse now. I give you a new command, love one another. That's the first thing he says. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you. You see how that's different? It's not philos love, philos love, the one of two friends that love each other and they get a mutual benefit out of it. He's saying, I want the kind of love that lifts up the other person without any thought towards yourself. No thought of return. It doesn't matter whether they'll ever return it. I want a sacrificial love. I want you to pour out your love for that other person. That's what the nature of it, like I did for you. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. This is the way that people will know that you're my disciples if you have maybe, maybe this kind of love for each other. This kind of, of agape poured out all for the other person. This is not how people in the world work. They form clubs and communities in order to have relationship, in order to have mutual benefit. It's quite fun. It's wonderful. It's everything else that it is. He's saying that is not going to bring people to the Lord. What's going to bring people to the Lord is when it's quite obvious that somebody loves somebody so much that they love that person more than they love themselves and that they're willing to give up who they are in order to see that person succeed. It occurs to me that's not unlike what a mother does. If you have this kind of love for one another, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now listen, when we're, when we're doing this whole thing, I need you, I've edited it enough, just a little bit enough, so that I want you to hear this as him talking to you. You're in that upper room with him. You're listening to him. But I don't want you to go back 2,000 years ago. I want you to be in this upper room where he's trying to raise the floor here. I want you to hear him speaking to you right now. And he's telling you, I am going away to prepare a place for you. Do you hear that? He, he's saying that to you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. And that is heaven, of course, what we talked about two weeks ago. 
you know the way to where I'm going. Now, Lord Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him because you've seen me. Lord said, Philip, show us the Father. That's enough. Have I been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Listen to this discourse. Listen to it real. It's happening right now with you right here. He's saying these words to you. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works. If you're having some trouble believing who I am, think about all the miracles. Think about all the things I've done in your life. Think about all the things that have been done in the world. Think about who I am and who I've revealed myself to be through all of this. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. He's telling us this. He's telling the disciples this, but it's not just the disciples. He's telling you right now, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I need you to suspend all the reasons that you have for not believing that so that you can listen to the Christ who is trying to get you to trust him in it. Because as we saw earlier, why didn't you trust? Why did you doubt? When you go to the doubt, you sink and drown. He's trying to get us to live at another level. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father. He'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. To do what? To help you keep his commandments. Now, commandments, plural. But what's the real commandment? The world is unable to receive. Oh, uh, be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit, the one that hovered over the spirit of the deep and all of creation and took chaos and shaped it into meaning is doing that in your life if you will let him. And he'll be living in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you in a little while. The world will see me no longer, but you will. Because I live, you will live. See it? In that day, oh, can I just say something? I hope you understand something. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little of a clamp. This is my life. Everything I've ever taught, every, every, every week I teach this over and over and over again. This is, this is everything I do and everything I am is right from these words right here. The heart of this, what it really means. The one who has commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and will reveal myself to him. I am testimony to that fact. 
Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You've heard me quote that out of that context how many hundreds of times? The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. I'm not talking about some sin that God covers in his blood. We're talking about a desire to, as he has made you new, there is a new desire in you and that you want that new desire. That's what we're talking about, about keeping his commandments, about keeping, about going after him. It doesn't mean, oh, I failed and now I don't love him and I'm just a wreck and I'm thrown off as dead wood. What we're talking about is, do people fail? Is there cottonwood in life? Yes. We've talked about that two weeks ago, three weeks ago. What we're talking about right now is, is where's your heart? Is it always and forever oriented to him? Is it always keeping on him? Not looking at winds and waves of the world that are trying to crush you, but not looking at your own failures that are trying to kill you too. Are you looking at him who saves and covers, who makes new? I have spoken these things to you while I, the word that you hear from me is not mine. It's from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. Peace, I leave with you. Remember, peace. Peace. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Peace. Peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give you to as the world gives, which comes and goes. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. And here I need to do a sidebar right now. Because there is one thing from the sermon that I was going to preach you that I felt like the Lord brought back in, again, five minutes before I was supposed to be up here. How many people are doing soaps in here? I think over time, I hope you are. I'm telling you, God moves in those things so amazingly. Our soap on Thursday was Numbers 20. And this is the story about people grumbling because they don't have water. But that's a story that's repeated because in Exodus that happens way before Numbers, years before, there's a story that happens in Exodus where the people have gone out from Egypt. They've gone across the, they've been delivered. They've gone across the Red Sea. Now they're out in the desert and they are thirsty. And the people complain against Moses, give us water to drink. They demanded, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out, Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock. Look, I will stand before you on the rock. I will stand before you on the rock. And then what will you do? You'll strike the rock. And who's standing on it? And when that happens, water will come gushing out and people will have rivers of living water. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. And the thing that this is communicating, which Moses had no way of knowing, but the thing that this is communicating is Jesus on the cross, the rock, the one standing on that rock, the one who was struck by Satan, by our sin, and put on that cross. 
But back then as a type to show, foreshadow what was going on, that rock was struck. See it? But then what came out of it? Living water. Water for life. Life came out of it. What comes out of this strike? Life. Now we get to Numbers 20, which was our reading for Thursday. The whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. There was no water for the people. Sound familiar? They didn't have anything to drink. They rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses. If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought us the congregation of the Lord's people in this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Have you heard this before? Bring us here to this terrible place. This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people, went to the entrance of the tabernacle. This is the same story, isn't it? The same exact story. They fell on the ground and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. That same staff. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. Put a pin in that. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. Yeah? He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Moses summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Right here. Must we bring you water from this rock? Must who bring it? We? I didn't think that was something he could do. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice to emphasize that it was the second time the rock was struck. And the water gushed out. Now look, the water still gushed out. And the entire community of livestock drank to their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 wait. We get it. There's a problem in there. We're going to come back and look at it. There's a problem. Okay, we get that. There's, but enough to the, Moses, the guy, that, you know, 40 years under as a king and he gave that up and then he goes into the wilderness for 40 years and now he comes back and he's not going to get to lead them into the promised land because he struck a rock a second time? Give me a break. What a small nothing thing that is. Now, here's the thing I'm telling you. Get this down deep in your heart. It's those small things that you cannot possibly know about that turn out to be huge. That turn out to be the thing that God is really trying to do. The reason why you have to be utterly obedient to the Lord is because he's going to tell you things to do that you have no idea about and could have no idea about. And you want to say, well, then don't hold me accountable. And what he wants to say back is, all I asked you to do is what I said. What was the problem? Most of you know it. The first time the Lord stood on the rock and he hit that rock and it was a type for Christ. But once Christ has been struck once, all that needs to happen from then on is that he be spoken to. Ask. In fact, look at it as the people watch. See, he wants them to watch. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say, what kind of God is being revealed here? What kind of God was he trying to reveal and what kind of God was revealed? 
the kind of God that was revealed is when people do rebellious things, God strikes. And sure, then something good happens. And you know, when they do it again, then he strikes again, because that's who God is. You know, the guy who's always striking us. Do you see the God that's being revealed here in what Moses did? It's got nothing to do with who God actually is. He's the God who said who you're going to be striking, even though you did the sin, even though you grumbled, you're going to be striking me. And out of me is going to come living water in love and in grace and in mercy. And what I want to do is I want you to just come talk to me the next time. You got a problem? Something went wrong? Don't strike yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't take yourself out of play. Don't figure it out. And don't you be the one who gets all mad at everything. Stay in the God who loves you, who cares for you, who's holding you at every single moment. And forevermore, how many times in this passage in John is he going to say, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Now, we always think of that as in heal such and such. But here's what it also means. God, forgive me. I need help. Help me. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. Ask. Yeah, sure. God was struck. But from then on, it is the most merciful thing you can imagine. The God who loves you, even though. The God who loves you, massively, such as to allow himself to be struck for your healing. You see the kind of God that's being revealed if Moses does it right? Which is the reason why God has to make it be a big deal to Moses. Because Moses did not reveal the God that wanted to be revealed there. Right? Let's be clear. You can't get this right. Could you just own that for a second? You're going to think, well, what I need to do is I need to get really good at getting it right, really obeying him. That's what I'm going to do. And then Paul comes along and says, oh, you foolish Galatians, would you finish in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? What made you think you could do this? Because it seems to me that the whole of your life is evidence that you can't. <laughs> and what I'm trying to bring you is, is I can by making you new by giving you a Holy Spirit counselor, guider who can help you, by covering the cottonwood that you didn't do right. Don't worry about it. It's not that you shouldn't ever think about it, or, but you get the drift. Don't make that the thing because it isn't the thing. The thing is you. And then I want to be with you. And then I want you to live in my love where it becomes incredible joy. So back to our passage I am the true vine and my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it'll produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. What's he saying? Tell me, what's, the, what's he saying here? Don't do it your way. You can't get it right. So let me flow through you and do it the way I want it done. Anointed, Bezalel, filled with the Spirit, does the right thing in the right way because God's doing it through him. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, it remains on the vine, unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Do you notice something here? We've moved all of a sudden, haven't we? Up until now, we've been talking about you, joy in you, obedience in you. But all of a sudden, what have we switched to? Fruit through you. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they're burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want. And now we're moving from forgive me to heal, to help, to touch, fruit. And it'll be done for you. My father is glorified by this. My father is glorified when you go out and do things, the Holy Spirit through you. That glorifies the father. These are people who get it. These are people who are letting the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants to do. And it is communicating a beautiful God in our country and the divisions that have been had so deeply and the critiques of God, which are so rampant from the world. People appropriating God as if they knew who he was and telling us who he is. The reason why there's not a good answer is because we're not actually living the God who really is. Because the God who really is, is a kind of love and a depth of love and a kind of joy and a depth of joy that you don't have to argue with anybody because it's just so obvious that there's rivers of living water in them. They want to critique you, but they do so at their own peril because they see that you've got life. There's something in you that their own soul is crying out for. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul pants for the Holy Spirit, for what's in that person, says the person in the world that doesn't know him. You produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as you have kept my Father's, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let me tell you, here's what's happening in my life right now. As I'm obeying the Lord, can I just say, my life's always been pretty much filled with ministry, way before I ever became a pastor. So this is, like for me to be saying there's even more is extraordinary, I think. Even though I'm still at 1%. But what I'm telling you is, is that as I'm getting more and more obedient to the Lord, he's doing these things like I was talking about, where he's interrupting things and he's having me to do things and, and get into situations. And it's bringing me, it's the, you know, the, you know what a perpetual motion machine is? You, you know, you just, you, it kicks out more energy than you put in. And there's no such thing because it's not how it works. But the idea is, is this is a perpetual motion machine. What happens is, is as you obey the Lord, the Lord does the most phenomenal things through you. And that makes you so happy that you want to obey the Lord more. And then when you obey the Lord more, he does more things through you. And that fills you with such joy 
that you don't want to do anything but just what he's telling you to do. Do you see it? It just keeps spinning up, spinning up, spinning up, spinning up. Keep my commandments, remain in my love. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy, the kind of joy I know, may be in you and your joy may be completed. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Now we just need to do one last thing before we wrap up here. No one has greater love than this, that someone should lay down their life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. You did not choose me, I chose you. You did not choose me, I chose you. Boy, we have to hold on to that truth. He who begun the good work in you is going to complete it. This is what I command you, love one another the way I do. Just give everything to them and see how it works out for you. If the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of this world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. When the counselor comes, the one who I'm sending you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify. The Holy Spirit will testify to you about who I am. And as you learn who he is, then you will testify who he is. Comforted what you've been comforted in. Talk to people about what he's done in you. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak for whatever, he, he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. I am passing it on to you. This is why I told you he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Jesus knew he wanted to question him. Are you still asking one another about what I said a little while and you not see me? I assure you, you will weep and well. The world will rejoice. This is Jesus on the cross, but it's also the world getting to do what it wants to do when God withdraws his protection. It becomes harder on Christians, easier on none, for at least a season. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman's in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into this world, her child. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of your joy. In that day, you will not ask me anything. In fact, I assure you anything you ask in my name, he'll give you. Until now, you've asked Nothing in my name, but now ask in my name and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. You see what he's saying? He's trying to tell you, trust me. <laughs> Please trust me. Please don't let the things of the world so overwhelm you that that's what fills your attention, that that's what fills your energy, that that's what fills your emotions, and you drown. He's begging you. Trust me.
so that I can get you walking on water. I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. But I've conquered the world. Now, after saying these things, Jesus looked up at heaven and said, and I'm going to do this now. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to read to you his prayer. I want you to pray it with him. So Jesus is here and we're reading his final prayer and we're done. We're reading his final prayer and I want you to feel him praying it for you. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. You have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those, who have get, for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach us your word, which is truth. Just as you sent us into the world, we are being sent into the world. And we give ourselves as a holy sacrifice for each other so that we can be made holy by your truth. We are praying not only for these, but also for everyone who will believe through their message, which is us. Father, Jesus, make us one just as you and the Father are one. As you are in each other, Father, we are in you. And may we, may you be in us so that the world may believe that you sent Jesus. You have given us the glory that you gave Jesus so that we may be one as you are one. You in him and him in you. May we experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent us and that you love us as much as you love Jesus. Father, we want those whom you have given to be with us where you are, that they can see all the glory that you gave us because you loved us even before the world began. 
Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but we do. You have revealed yourself to us, and we continue to reveal you to the world. And from that, the world sees the love that you have for us and that you are truly in us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, I'm asking you, make this prayer a Christmas gift. Make it be the very words of life, rivers of living water that build a new floor, that build a new foundation, that raise a thing up to a new level completely. And make it solid, God. Raise it up to where it's solid, to where we can build on it yet again. In Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, God. Reach down and pick up your